Did I lose you? Dan, hello. I think I lost you. There you are. Yeah. That was weird. Soccer 90 is your source for all FC Dallas, US national team, and international club gear. This Black Friday, save with deals of up to 50% off everything. Offer good in store and online. On Cyber Monday, 40% off everything all day. Offer online only at soccer90.com, so you don't even need your third degree uh, promo code. That's a pretty good deal. That's, that's an absolutely excellent deal. Well, uh, hey, Buzz. Um, I guess we're without the birthday boy today. Oh, is that what it is? Oh, yeah, this is birthday, isn't it? I thought he was it just is. gone for Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, maybe he is. Maybe, yeah. maybe he's just <laughs> thankful for his birthday. Yeah, thankful to be old. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, we're, we're missing uh, Peter's uh, professional tones today, so we'll just kind of muddle through uh, a nice Q&A from a... Uh, Patreon subscribers and uh, and really people on social media platforms. How does that sound? Well, that since that's what we have prepared, that sounds awesome. Oh, good. I, <laughs> I hadn't prepared anything else. I just rely on you to to give us a run sheet. I mean, that that crayon list is just perfect. Yeah, there's no crayon involved in any of these lists. <laughs> so um, yeah, let's let's get down to it. Um, Going with our uh, wonderful Patreon subscribers first. Thank you uh, so much for for keeping the lights on at Third Degree HQ, aka uh, Buzz's Porch. Uh, we'll start with Chris Wells. Um, Chris wants to talk about the TV deal. When does enough revenue come in to maybe keep better talents or bring in some from other leagues? Uh, and he mentions not keeping, not quite competing with the big five leagues, but I think as you mentioned in a in a burn, kind of going up from the double A level to the triple A. Yeah, the it, the answer is that this is going to be an incremental process. Um, the first big jump that everyone is expecting is the next TV deal, which will kick in for twenty twenty three. This is the one that um, MLS has sort of been counting on. It's the one that will theoretically lead them into the world cup uh and they, they're going to want like a big partner sort of build up um and they're expecting to get a big huge bump out of this deal um it's going to probably include some bundling of local deals and national deals probably under one or two umbrellas so it may change the way local tv deals work you may not get teams doing their own tv deals from there on it'll just be kind of the way non-specifically kind of the way USL works where all the deals are on one platform, like in that case, ESPN plus, I'm not saying it's going to be ESPN plus. I'm just saying that that's the way things are going these days, because the more you can bring to the table, the more you can monetize, the better off you can be. And you can do a lot of things more cohesively that way and help out some teams like Dallas, which don't have great TV deals. So the next one is going to be, they think a big jump and, but then it'll just continue to incrementally happen as they go forward. Um, as this league continues to grow, it'll be, more and more substantial. Uh, and they already have attendances that are equal to some of the biggest leagues in the world. So you just have to translate 
some of those things into television and other activities, which is why some people are around the world are so hopeful and why FIFA gave the World Cup to the United States in the first place. There's so many people here that they think it can be a humongous cash cow, particularly if, if the things with Mexico, League MX sort of mergers or things happen, then you'll really see that'll be the deal, the TV deal that can push both of those leagues into the stratosphere of clubs around the world would be a, a combined league MX MLS property of some kind, you know, a true combined league. That'll be the massive, massive build jump. Yeah. I think there's a, a big caveat in, in it that in some ways it's not always about the revenue on, on, um, you know, getting those players, retaining other players and kind of matching the, the larger leagues and, you know, and, and, I'm going to take uh, your Newcastle United as an example. Uh, so Newcastle got $204 million in revenue in 2020, $160 million of that from TV rights. They also posted an $8 million, uh, sorry, a $120-odd million loss. You know, and obviously fans were, you know, uh, not exactly happy with the lack of transfer activity. It's not always about how much is coming in as much as it is what you do with it and you know are you willing to to invest it in those ways uh, if you give it to lafc absolutely if you give it to fc dallas well maybe not i mean to a small degree you know we know the hunts like to operate in a little safety zone and maybe that'll just make them a tiny bit more adventurous within that knowing that they're not going to bankrupt the club but you know it, it Increments on the league scale are going to be so much smaller on the club scale, just with with the way they operate. I mean, we're we're remarking over the first time they've gone over a million dollars on a on a player they haven't then immediately sold, and uh, that's only three million, which on the grand scheme of well, not even uh, which on the grand scheme of the league isn't, and then especially compared to uh, some of the bigger leagues, is, is a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess let's go to the next question, which comes from uh, El Jefe, the legendary Dustin Chrisman. And I'm really interested to uh, to get your take on this. Which player move do you think is going to happen that no one is expecting? Uh, so no Pepe, no Jesus, yeah, none of the uh, the ones that everyone's guessing anyway. Yeah. Um... What I'm now expecting to have happen, and I have zero evidence for this. This is 100% just off the cuff. Um, instead of announcing that they did not retain and pick up the options for Brian Acosta and Brisson, they're going to instead announce two new three-year contracts for those two players. Well, that's, that's terrible. I, I didn't say you were going to like it. I said that's what I think is going to happen. I don't, I don't um, have a lot of confidence in the current scouting setup that FC Dallas is employing and Dan Hunt and other people keep talking about how two of their DP slots are filled. Well, to me, that means that you think both Frank O'Hara and Brian Acosta are going to be here next year. So, you know, I, I don't think that that'll include, you know, Acosta is theoretically in the prime of his career. Right. So, and, and Brisson is, uh, Zanata's buddy from Gremio. So I just have, you can call it a fear if you want, call it a premonition, call it a, those are two things that I think no one would expect to have happened that I think have a 
much better than zero, maybe even better than 50% chance, even higher chance of happening as much as I would hate it. Well, this has been episode 138, third degree to podcast. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> well, what's, okay, let's, let's Yeah, who's on your list? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, don't, I was trying to sort of rattle my brain and I couldn't really think of anything. The only one I kind of figured, and it's not one that nobody is uh, speculated, is Thomas Roberts finally gets free. Yeah. But, uh, Surely can happen. Know. Yeah. Um, let's let's go on to El uh, uh, Jefe's uh, other question. Maybe that will get a little bit of a better answer. Mm. So uh, Nashville beat Orlando. Orlando out of the out of the playoffs. What are the odds that FC Dallas could money whip uh, Orlando City to get Poppy back? Um, I'm gonna say pretty low. Um, they have some new owners there in Orlando, and my completely uneducated take will be that they'll look at the fact that he's got them in the playoffs every year after they'd never been in the playoffs before he got there. And they'll look at the rapid turnover they had in coaches before he got there compared to when he's been there now. And that the new owners are going to say, no, you're my guy for now. And like, and we'll have zero interest in letting him out of his contract or firing him or anything. And in fact, they will probably insist that he stay because of the success he's had for that club relative to other people. Now in the long run, will they keep him? I don't know, but I think right now, I think basically they'll say no chance in hell that they'll let Oscar out of his Orlando deal. If, if they would, I think the hunts probably would be very interested in that. The part that I think you have no clue is, is whether Oscar would be interested in that. I don't think he would want to come back yet. That's my guess. Yeah. I don't see the money whipping part. Uh, With the world's, you know, buying majority stake from uh, Flavio da Silva, I kind of see one of two things. Now them, being ultra consistent, wanting to keep Poppy going forward, or saying, okay, here's a chance. Uh, let's take the Orlando City that's not been amazing and turn it into the Orlando City that was promised in 2014. Uh, you know, Luis Mazzi is kind of that last hangover from uh, from De Silva uh, with their Brazilian connection, and, and Oscar's his guy. Uh, you know, if they wanted to clear house, maybe that does create an opportunity for FC Dallas to say, hey, please come back, whether he then would or not, who knows, but uh, I would definitely lean to the the consistency side of things like like you were yeah. saying. Yeah, if they were in last place, it'd be different, And but I 100% think that they won't. Now, if they were to let uh, Oscar go, I'm sure the Hunts would call him, but I, I don't think, there's, I think there's a very, very limited chance that they would money whip him out of that situation to answer the question specifically. Absolutely. Uh, here's, here's the one I'm kind of dreading. Uh, from uh, Lucci, Phil Luchford, not Lucci Gonzalez. He um, kind of wanted to rate a couple of different areas of signings from FC Dallas. So talking about homegrowns, draft picks, domestic signings, international signings, and high-profile DPs. Well, we can forget about that last one. There hasn't <laughs> been a high-profile DP in a long time. Um, how how would we rate those areas? Uh, for areas they're weak in, what are the opportunities where they could fees, uh, reasonably improve? Okay, homegrown signings A, draft picks uh, C, domestic signings uh, incomplete because they don't do any. Uh, so, I mean, zero, F, I don't know, whatever you want to call that, they don't do any. So 
that that's a, a bad grade or an incomplete grade or whatever. International signings, C, high-profile DP signings. Um, I'm just going to presume that all DP signings are high-profile. That used to be a B, but lately it's a C. Uh, and maybe even a D or an F, depending on how much you, how tightly you want to consider lately. Um, the things that could be, that could they reasonably improve? Well, the, improving your DP signings is going to be difficult because uh, the hunts don't want to spend enough money to get super high re- return kind of signings um, when they were at their best, FC Dallas. And you can combine uh, domestic and signings and international signings and DP signings. You can combine all these under one umbrella. When they're at their very best at this, it's when they go for young, emerging talents that somebody with a good soccer mind has scouted, whether it's Oscar finding Fabian Castillo, whether it's whoever, Oscar or, or Cavillo signing uh, uh, Grezzo. Um, you have to, you have to, if you're going to spend the money the hunts are going to spend, you have to be able to get a much higher successful hit percentage. So the short answer to what, what could be by itself a multiple hour conversation is that you have to get better at scouting across the board on all these categories. Uh, in the last two or three years, basically since Zanata's come in and Lucci came in, it's hard to tell that they were good at those things. There, there's been some big misses the last three years in every category except homegrown signings. And even those last couple homegrown signings, I do wonder about. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you could take it back uh, another year or so and say uh, really ever since uh, Chiri Rivera was brought in as the director of international scouting because we just haven't seen I- enough from that. We've seen uh, a couple of internationals that came in um, – you know, more on the European side than anything. Uh, you know, we know the uh, Cobra was uh, brought to FC Dallas's attention by MLS itself. Uh, we know Christo Stoichkov uh, was responsible uh, for picking up the phone and calling uh, Clavio about uh, Nedyalkov. Uh, we don't know too much about uh, how they came to find uh, the uh, Sabot Shun. Um, and then, yeah, uh, you know, we know FC Dallas does its, the coaches do their individual trips. Uh, there are obviously a few links in, in Colombia. So, you know, how much is, how much is Chiri's role or his original role, uh, as away from being a, an assistant coach, uh, you know, really, really contributed to the sort of, uh, in the, uh, the inlet of players, I guess. Yeah. I'd be interested to see. Uh, when he sort of changed roles a little bit, because the last couple of years I've known Chewy mostly as a guy who was responsible for development of homegrowns as they come into the first team, sort of a transition coach, if you will, to try and help those guys progress. And that's the part they've nailed the best. Um, you know, if you don't have a good scouting department and spend enough money in that department, then you're not going to do well. But if you go back to the end of the Pareja era, when they had, when they signed people like Ziegler and they signed people like Grezzo, you know, and you know, there, there's an era in there where they were on point with all their signings. So they're capable of doing it. They just have to get back to whatever that was when they were hitting on those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the only other thing I would say, maybe uh, I'd probably say a B on the homegrown signings, just because there's been a couple of missed opportunities there. You know, uh, we've, we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Gomez kind of going off and doing his thing. Uh, 
you know, and then those sort of B-level players, which I know we're going to get into in just a minute. But, uh, you know, we just saw uh, Nico Carrera make his uh, first appearance on the bench in the German second division uh, this weekend. And congratulations to Nico for that. But uh, when we're talking about, you know, a, a fragile... Uh, defense in need of a rebuild. Uh, suddenly, players like that look mm-hmm. uh, looks far more valuable. Chris Richards too comes to mind. Well, that's a successful sign and sell more than it is a missed piece. Yeah, there's definitely been some missed pieces. That they can they can get across the, better across the board, um, but the home runs for the most part they've you know if you can get one or two or three a year, that's stunningly remarkable success. And that's kind of where they are, so it's hard to argue with that too much. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid segue because I think maybe that may link into potentially into your answer. I could be totally wrong. Uh, to the next question, which comes from Arlo, uh, what is the lowest hanging fruit that FC Dallas could uh, take as the next step as an organization, or to to do to take as the, the next step? Yeah, if you want to talk bang for buck and like the easiest way to get better with like your best hit rate and that that's just to be patient. I know, I know that sounds ridiculous, but um, their best success rate is young talent from the academy. Um, and they're very, very close to having a staggeringly good midfield all with homegrowns. And they have guys up front that are staggeringly good, peppy, and if they keep Dante Seeley and if they get... I mean, Shun's not an academy player, but it's the same principle. This young project under 22, whatever they call it, it's the same idea. Uh, and that's that's the best way to get your bang for the buck is to find these young homegrowns and get them locked up long term at a cheaper rate than it would be for how good they're going to be. In the sense, you know, if you if you bring in a 26 to 28 year old DP level player, they're going to be crazy expensive compared to what it is if you can afford to wait for Jesus and Paxson and Pepe. And if you could have done it with Chris Richards and if you could have done it with Brian Reynolds, you know, that's your biggest bang for the buck and your biggest way for this organization to win because they're so bad at scouting it, not by our opinion that we think it was a bad player, purely based on results. They're not getting it done scouting so the easiest way to progress this club to be a competitive club is to wait for <laughs> hey and keep players wait for Jesus and Paxton and Pepe uh, it won't be Pepe but that's a good example if you could keep Pepe until he's 25 oh lord man wow you know that's that's how you do it that's the easiest way to do it cheapest way to do it yeah definitely and uh, you know I was kind of scratching my head on that one thinking you know you can do better uh, on the on a domestic market, kind of pick up like the, you know, how Dax McCarty seems to be the guy that every team picks up to go from being kind of crappy to a, you know, contender for something. Um, but then you've got Brandon Zemini, you've got Ed- Edwin Saria, you're taking minutes away from them, so then you're waiting longer for them to progress. You, Likewise, if you went forward... Look for someone to take a, one of the two positions that Jesus could play. It's, uh, it, 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 you know, it's not the answer that any FC Dallas fans going to want after, uh, you know, all these years. But it, it is really a patience thing, and maybe Dan Hunt's wildest dreams could come true, and and those players could all blossom at once, push for something, and and then get sold for millions. 
yeah, if you combine in a way scouting of domestic players, whether you sign them or drafting them, drafting them, you can look at Hollingshead, Hedges, Nicosi, Maurer. You know, you can get solid pieces that can, at times, compete for the best in the league. Hollingshead has been the best left back in the league at time. Hedges was a defender of the year. Maurer last year, you could argue, should have been keeper of the year. So these domestic players are capable of playing at that high level. So that's the second way you could improve your team is to do a better job a high, and, and, and deliver at a higher percentage through your draft picks and through your domestic signings. Honestly, Jimmy Maurer is probably the last domestic signing that's hit, and he wasn't even out of MLS. He was out of a lower league. So it can be done. You know, it's just, it's going to take work and people, uh, but it's still cheaper than hiring DPs. You know, you can look at teams that are in the playoffs and making deep runs. Colorado has one DP or two, I think. Philly has one, I think. You know, so you can perform without them if you do a good enough job in other ways. And those are two ways that you can. Those other two ways. They're cheaper than high-tier DPs. So, uh Trent Dismuke uh, wanted to talk about something that costs as much as a as a DP, and that's North Texas SC. Uh, three years now, has it been successful in progressing young players? Uh, in two ways, yes, and in one way, a third way, no. The two ways it's been successful in progressing young players is the um, playing of academy players at that level. Uh, you can look at Jonathan Gomez. You can look at Kevin Mania. You can look at... Um, other, let me think of uh, Damus. You can think of Arturo Rigos. Those guys all progressed at, uh, coming out of the academy into that team. Those are all good examples. Now, none of them yet have paid off for Dallas, but it is successful in what it does. The other way, the way that has actually helped the team is the development of homegrooms that have been signed that need playing time. You remember at the very beginning, Paxton went down a little bit, Thomas Harvest went out a bunch, Brian Reynolds went down a bunch. Um, you know, those the opportunity to get playing time for those 16, 17, 18 year old kids is key. I mean, Colin Smith, who's a long term development project, just spent a whole season down there. He's going to spend another whole season down there next year. So that part is working. The part that's not working is the player that maybe is not quite ready for a teenage homegrown or is maybe just one tick off of a guy who's ready at 18. And that would be a guy like Nico Carrera or a guy like Johan Gomez or Jonathan Gomez, guys that you wanted to retain, you know, there for a year or two uh, and progress to the first team. That's not happened. The closest guy right now is Jabron Rayo, or Rayo, excuse me, who's close to being that guy, but I don't know if he is. Um, we'll see if he gets a real shot. He's the closest one to that, making that leap. And so far, that's not working. So um, it's half successful, maybe, maybe two thirds successful, but not completely successful yet. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think certainly you look at Brian Reynolds, doesn't get that, uh, he, de- he doesn't get the reps at right back, he doesn't get the progression to uh, come in as soon as uh, as he did, and then that that move to Italy. Uh, likewise, Tanner Tessman, you know, he was kind of on the radar as a homegrown, um, but, you know, his, his, uh, his body of work with North Texas SC certainly pushed him a little bit further to the forefront um but yeah uh, i think your uh your nico carreras your joe goes both of them uh players like that that's that's always going to be the uh the, the kind of sour taste in the mouth that north texas leads um in its current guys uh moving to this uh mls uh two deal 
you know, hopefully that uh, LDL contract where they have that, you know, you you'd mentioned there's a progression of you have a couple of years as a as a lower division player and then you it's designed to move them on into like a homegrown capacity in MLS. That could be something that gets someone yep. like, uh, you know, maybe not Jonathan Gomez because uh, both of the brothers, you know, they, they knew Europe was the goal. Um, they weren't signing. But, you know, maybe that can be enough to appease uh, like a Nico Carrera. Yeah, that, that type of deal will function, uh, will, will benefit the team in two ways. One is that, you'll be able to effectively stash a homegrown in the sense that if I'm understanding the mechanics of it correctly as to what they've communicated to um, youth players is that there, there will be a connectivity that you can sign a one contract that'll have a certain number of years with North Texas and a certain number of years with MLS. So it's one deal and you know, it's there. So you, effectively you can stash homegrowns that way. And the second is that uh, even if you only get a, uh, North Texas component of, of it as an academy player, you can still feel confident that it's a singular organization in a lot of ways because your contract will be held by MLS, right? And there's a there's now a direct connection, a direct corporate single entity rather than being a completely different league. So that that second level will be enticing, I think, to guys that are right on the border, perhaps, you know, with the idea that, hey, look, you're going to be working with us, the, you know, the same contract. It's like it can carry over and that kind of talk. So, um that, those contracts should change the way that the thing works. So that'll be a fascinating process to see how that affects people's willingness to sign or not. All right. Uh, so we've got the last one off of our uh, Discord, folks. Uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber, the uh, the level that gets you to Discord is definitely worth it. It's a, a great uh, 24-7 discussion on all things FC Dallas, MLS, USL, European soccer, everything else, absolutely do it. It's a fun place to be. Uh, but Scott Humphrey asks, what can be done to bridge the soccer parent fans and supporters sections to create a great game day experience that doesn't alienate either group? Now, I know uh, as somebody who's had a hand in supporters groups for years, what my opinion is, but I'm really interested to get your take as someone who, you know, is kind of uh, in the middle of that, sitting in a different intersection away from both, really. Yeah, I, I definitely want to hear what you have to say about it. But um, for me, from sitting further away, um, I think the biggest issue that you get in terms of those sections not enjoying each other is proximity. Um, and that, that can be either, you know, it's it's just on the other side of the stairs or it's just or even they'll sell you tickets in that section. Um, so the number one thing that I think this club misses out on in terms of fan um stuff is that I think that they should have a facilitating type relationship with supporters. They should go to the supporters and say, how can I help you rather than being a hindrance, which I think they currently are. Cause I, I have the feeling and the impression that they don't particularly like them very much. Um, but you know, I, it's hard to say exactly why that is other than the fact that they're often working against them. So for me the, to bridge that gap actually requires a gap. <laughs> and to me, that means having a separate section for the supporters that is a little bit away from normal people, having only supporters be able to get tickets in that section. Now, that doesn't mean that you sell through the groups necessarily, but it needs to mean when you're selling people tickets in that section, okay, you have to understand this is the supporter section. People are going to be standing. There's going to be confetti thrown. There's going to be language. It's, it's, it's not a kid-friendly zone. 
And that needs to be separated from sections that are kid-friendly zones, which is the bulk of the stadium. So if you have a little bit of a separation there, then you lose some of the, I think, some of the things that people most complain about. Um, you know, when you can't hear as much of the stuff or see as much of the stuff going on, then I think that'll help that a little bit. And then outside of that, it's just honestly supporting the supporter sections because they are the section that brings the most interest to a soccer game in terms of crowd building. So that's my short take on somebody who's not intimately involved with supporters. I think that's something important things to do though. Uh, I, I think that's uh, actually a great point. And the, the added separation wasn't really something I'd considered, but um, you know, coming from Europe, uh, you know, everything's segregated. Um, you have a supporters stand, you have an away stand, you have a family stand, and you have that kind of big general stand. Um, FC Dallas, it's all, you know, you've just kind of shoved your supporters into one corner. Uh, you've given overflow seating on the opposite side of the same um, part of the stadium, um, literally the furthest section away. And when you have away supporters, they're kind of spread out. So it's easier for them to kind of be seen a little bit. Um, so definitely having that kind of that separation, uh, which the beer garden was kind of nice because it created that. Yeah. When El Matador was on the south side, it kind of created that because you knew what to expect. Um, I think one thing, and it's actually something Tana Tessman had mentioned in Chum Chat when they were talking about it. Uh, and if you if you haven't heard uh, that episode, definitely go and check that out. It was a, a great insight into the player's mind of, of stadiums and, and fans. But um, he'd mentioned, you know, why doesn't, the, why doesn't the club do more to get everybody involved? Because you get this clash. Uh, you get supporters that are like, oh, well, they don't want to do anything. They don't want to cheer this team on. They don't care. And you also get people who sit in the other seats who are like, oh, they don't want us involved. They're just so elitist. Those supporters, screw them. Well, we get things like the hoops clap. We get things like the basic FC Dallas chant, right? Everyone joins it in, whole stadium at times, uh, as long as they're not playing like crap. Yeah. Um, now, the supporters uh, groups have actually been asking for years, hey, uh, let's get song lyrics out. Let's put them on the video ribbon boards. That's actually how Deep in the Heart of Texas started as like a stadium-wide thing before the game. Um, you know, get it printed in those little match day magazines they used to give out, season ticket holder emails, something that can, um, you know, a little handout that says, hey, you know, if you want to know the songs, go to El Matador's website, DBG's website. Here's your, uh, you know, here, here are some resources. Yeah, that, that gets back to the idea, I mean, of like, how can we help you? And yeah. That would be a great idea. You have to listen to your supporters, your most hardcore supporters, and try, just like you do your season ticket holders that are paying your big money fancy tickets. You listen to them. You know, what do you guys like? What kind of hot dogs should we get you? Do you like a different kind of beer? In your luxury suite, same thing with the supporters. They're some of your most important people. You're probably your most loyal people. What can we do to help you? What what kind of things do you want? What what should we do to make it a better experience for you? You know, and instead they just I think they look at that group as like a headache and just want to get rid of it. You know, and I I think that's a short sighted look at the way soccer should be done. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, your support and atmosphere is, is your biggest sales tool, your biggest marketing asset. Yeah. That's why it's on every MLS and FC Dallas advert. Uh, if you have those people in jerseys, that's a, a great advert for Adidas, for MTX, for Advocare, for, you know, whoever you get on on that, uh, you know, th- those walking advertising boards. Um, the problem is FC Dallas has always either said no or uh, just appealed a curtain back a little bit, have asked, said, hey, we'll do this, but as long as you give us your member lists. Uh, that's a big no-no for supporters groups. So, yeah. uh, for one, DBG does have a formal membership, so it does have a list. Um, but there's also, you know, people just have by association who may buy a jersey or a scarf or something. El Matador does not have a membership formally, so there is no list to give. Um, now, you may say, okay, well, why not just hand it over? It's, it's easy, right? Well, uh, I don't want somebody giving away my... Uh, personal details, I don't want my, you know, now FC Dallas may have my address, my phone number, my email address, uh, but that's because I consented to give it to them, not because somebody else did. Yeah, this, this is why uh, I get back to the idea of the club should say, okay, you're buying a ticket in the supporters section, you know, you don't have to go through the supporters groups to buy them, but just make it very clear, this is what this section is, just like you should have a family section at the other end of the stadium <laughs> away from them, you know, don't like that. Okay. We have a section for family only where there's no cussing and there's no beer and there's, you know, you can see other ways to service fan groups. It's all part of fan service. You know, oh, yeah. you got I mean, to develop your audience. I wouldn't buy a house near DFW and complain about the noise. Right. Right. Exactly. So yeah, no, totally. Uh, I, I think that's, uh, absolutely, uh, Something and you know it's definitely uh, you know something we can always expand on later down the line. Speak to Stephen and Luis from the supporters groups and kind of uh, you know go into detail about the supporters groups. But uh, yeah. you know we've obviously got a lot of questions to go. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have well some of these topics we could spend literally hours on, but you know we don't yeah. have that kind of time. Fortunately, uh, and you know we are still in the Patreon questions. Uh, Patreon yeah. subscribers do get those third degree burns, which. Honestly, uh, these topics are all basically uh, basically burns. Like those sort of, you know, two to eight minute videos where you talk through great topics. Yeah, they could be, yeah. We're going to burn them all in one podcast. This is a terrible <laughs> idea, Dan. Okay. Whose idea was uh, this? <laughs> we've, we've really we've blown ourselves up for the season. Yeah. Well, let's get on with it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Inman asks. How likely is Jesus to leave? And how likely is Paxton to, quote-unquote, get better? I, I don't think Jesus is likely to leave uh, this winter. Um, I definitely think that he's likely to leave at some point. Uh, if he had been in the national team a little more this year, I think he'd be more primed to go. Um, I think, uh, and this is actually something we'll, we'll talk about later. If it, if it doesn't come up with another question, we have something we should talk about at the very end. But... Um, I think Jesus is, he does have some mercenary tendencies in him, I believe, but I don't think it's now. So I think it's 85% he's staying this, this winter. Uh, that's pretty strong, but I, I kind of feel that's the case. Um, and how likely is Paxson to quote, get better back to peak form? Well, a hundred percent, he will be better because uh, just on the medical side alone, my understanding of the, of the surgery in the, in the, in the, injury he had and i'm not a doctor obviously but i did read about it for 10 seconds so i know that it's a it's an injury that takes time like i know when you do an acl 
this one year before you can start playing, but then it takes a whole nother year for your brain to really agree that you're back and for you to have full confidence. So we always talk about ACLs being two years, one year to be, get back and another year after that. I think this is like that when they talk about how, and Paxton even himself said this, that he would feel better in two years than he did at the time it happened. So 100% Paxton will continue to feel better. Now, getting back to peak form is an entirely different question, and I think it's dependent on him moving back inside. So if they move him back into the middle, I think that the chances are 70% that he'll be, he'll be able to get back to peak form. That's where I have it, both of those questions. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't have a gauge on Jesus, but Paxton, um, you know, I think we're going to look back on, on this season as just he got better. Um, health, health-wise, um, you know, you had a cam hinge and uh, cam hip impingement. Uh, so you think of that ball and socket joint in your hip, where you know there's uh, cartilage around the, you know, between the ball and socket. Well, his ball wasn't exactly a ball; it was a, uh, it was, it was an NFL ball, and it was rubbing that away at that socket and that cartilage. You know, every time he's putting pressure on that leg. Uh, you know that's just pain. So he's had to learn to to walk, you know, to walk to a degree, to run, to run at his normal gait, not kind of compensating for any any of the pains that he was experiencing around his groin, around his hamstring, around the things that hip was uh, was affecting, and and that kind of stops you focusing on your game. So yeah, year two, I'm really excited to see what we get get from him, especially if he is on the middle where he really should be. Um, but yeah, I mean, better is, is definitely going to happen in one way or another. Yeah. I said at the beginning of the season that if he got 15 starts, I'd consider it a success. He ended up with 18, which is too short of his best when he had 20 back in 2019. So oh. that, that's, you would, the thing about Paxton is that he has never been other than that. I mean, a 34 game season, he's never started more than 20. So that's what we have to hope for for Paxton is that this surgery and just in general, he figures out how to take care of himself better so that you can get a 30 game season out of him. Maybe you don't want 34, but you would like to see 30 ish in that neighborhood. Um, and so that's the progression for him. And if I think if he can play that many, it'll be because he is getting back to peak form because they are relying on him. And I think that's the, that's what we would want to see next year is that progression. So that many starts. Well, uh, Gennaro Jasso actually uh, mentions Paxton benefiting from the uh, five sub rule. Uh, is that here to stay in MLS? Yeah, unfortunately it is. I hate this rule like I've hated nothing else before in the history of soccer. Uh, and I cannot stand that it's ha- this, this is the case, but it's exactly like I said it was going to be, which is that once they did it, they were never going to go backwards. We're going to be stuck with five subs the rest of our lives, I'm afraid. Yeah, I uh, my my only bright glimmer of hope is the football league went back to three, and honestly, it's been great. Uh, there was a game where where Luton were down, were getting absolutely destroyed. They were one nil down in the first ten minutes, couldn't get the ball. Manager makes uh, a double substitution, changes the formation, you know, which is now risky with, with again with one sub left, but it just made the finish to the game so thrilling. Uh, I think the very next day it happened in MLS. I think Bob Bradley may have done it. Well, that's fine, but he had th- he had three subs if it failed. Yeah, uh, you know, not not so great. It's more of a just kind of a get out of jail free. 
Uh, I really hope that with the Football League going back to three and I'm not sure what, if any other competitions are sticking at three, but I really hope that kind of drags the global trend in some way. Yeah, I think our, our only hope is that the IFB, which last time I checked has four votes from Great Britain, um, as opposed to the rest of the world gets four votes. Our, our only hope is that the, the stubborn, old school, conservative uh, Brits, for lack of a better term, um, choose to lock that up and, and force with their four votes and force three subs to be the standard um, on the rest of the world. And it's weird that I'm not usually a, necessarily a super conservative person, but this rule drives me crazy. And I really am. That's my last hope is that the IFB will block. They're the ones that approve rules, by the way, if everyone doesn't know that FIFA doesn't approve rule changes, IFB does, which is a committee of eight votes. Last time I looked, um, and FIFA, which FIFA has four votes. And then the home FAs, as they call them, have the other four. Dan, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, yeah. That's our that's our hope for this rule not going through, is that the four home FAs will, will stop it in the mud and, and keep it from going. And basically, it's the poor teams, because the rich teams want this. The rich teams want five subs because they have more depth on their bench and they have more talent on their bench that they can use to be to beat bad teams that don't. And they have guys that more deeper, longer rosters that they can rotate in, and the poor guys don't. So if you are a fan of a poor team, of which we clearly are, you want less subs, not more. Absolutely, 100%, because nobody... I mean, you know, indoor soccer's not massive for uh, a pretty good reason, right? Right. Um, nobody wants to see rolling subs. Uh, Lindsay Horn has a couple of questions. Uh we talked about Jesus. Let's talk about uh, Ricardo Pepe. Uh, so is there anything keeping Ricardo Pepe from arranging a deal with a new team now so that he can at least go to train until the window opens? Uh, the only thing that's stopping that from happening is FC Dallas and or whatever team he's talking to that may or may not have worked out a deal. If they had a deal in principle, in place, then they could do that kind of thing. But as long as FC Dallas is not agreeing to anything, then Pepe can't do anything. Like right now, Pepe's training, um, and I only know this because I know somebody that saw him. He and uh, Jesus and Edwin were training on their own um, up at the up at uh, Frisco at, at Pizza Pizza Hut. Goodness, at uh, Toyota Soccer Complex. So um, if he were out of contract, you know that would be different you know, then he would have a lot more flexibility. But given that he's under contract, he's basically stuck. He can't do anything unless FC Dallas agrees and they're not going to agree. Yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult. It, it comes into that tapping up territory. Um, also, you know, he's he's going to be going overseas. Uh, there is a very fine line between what you can and can't do uh, that's considered work, uh, business or pleasure, and what requires... Uh, a work permit obviously someone's not going to sponsor a player for a work permit just to to train um it's actually kind of one of those little loopholes that players on trials like to do they pick out a soccer uh, a soccer club that will uh, apply for a work visa and an international transfer clearance because they know the the bigger club they actually want won't do it yeah not that Pepe's going to do that uh Lizzie had a second question um we talked about it uh, Paxton in the middle. What does he have to do to get there? Well, Paxton, nothing, because it's not up to him. I mean, other than making it known to the club that he really wants to be in the middle, um, it's going to be down to a coach. Uh, you know, potentially with the idea that the owner or Zanata might say, "Hey, we really want to see Paxton in the middle," said coach. 
but otherwise that's it basically. So you have to, you know, other, you can tell the coach, I want to be in the middle. You know, you can, in training, when you get opportunities in the middle, you can outplay the other options. That's what you can do. But in the end, it's the coach's decision where you play. So unless, unless your captain is going to screw over his coach, which has happened, there are cases in FC Dallas history where the team's supposed to play a three, five, two, and they go out to the huddle five seconds for kickoff. And the, and the captain says, screw that. We're playing a four, four, two. And he gives all the players their positions. Cause what can you do? If you're the coach on the sideline at that time, nothing, you can't control players on the field, but that's not likely because that that's when you've lost the locker room. So short answer is nothing capacity can do about it. He's just going to have to have a coach that wants to play him in there. All right. Uh, I'm going to request a, a burn on when that's actually happened in FC Dallas history or Dallas burn history, because that sounds incredible. I'll have to check with Andy Swift exactly when it was, um, I want to say it was Chad Deering that did it. I'll have to, I, I don't quote me on that until I uh, check with Andy and see if I can compare notes. Interesting. Yeah. If I'll, I'll get yes. the a hundred percent for sure ha- happened. I just have to see if I can figure out when it was. Okay. Um, let's move on with uh, Justin Bittner. And I'm really interested to hear your answer on this one. Based off your experiences at other soccer stadiums or sporting events in general, what is the one thing you would like to see FC Dallas incorporate into the game day experience? Um, well, the things that I really liked at other stadiums are some things that are a couple of things that uh, FC Dallas can't really do. Uh, and one of those was riding the, I don't know what they call it, the subway or the train or tram or whatever at Portland to, to their stadium from downtown through downtown to their stadium and then walking underneath the arches that's underneath their stadium. Um, I happened to be going through the, that section when one of their fan bands was marching through there uh, and it was echoing and banging and, and riding on the tram with all the fans in their gear. You know, that's all phenomenal, very urban sort of experience. And that's impossible for FC Dallas to do. They don't have those two things. Um, the, the easy answer is shade. <laughs> I'd love for there to be some shade. At the Toyota Stadium fan experience, that'd be really nice. Um, again, that's super expensive, though, it, given the current circumstances. Um, so honestly, I think it's what I got back to before. It's like I, I wish they would support the uh, fan experience through supporting the supporters clubs. Because uh, think about that. Did you go to a game at Austin? Um, I was sitting in the side section, not the end section, just the side section. And people all around me were singing the songs and doing the chants with the supporters because they knew them somehow they'd been to enough games. I mean, not everybody, but they had somehow they had, they had seen the lyrics or had heard them enough or uh, whatever they had done in order to get the words of the, to these people and people all around me were singing and chanting. So that was really impressive. And I, I really think that's exciting if they can figure out how to do that. Yeah. I think that's, that's kind of the dream at Toyota stadium. Um, I think for me, you know, I never really thought about the. I mean, I've obviously thought about the transport issue. Uh, I never thought about it as it pertains to the game day experience. Um, the Portland thing sounds really cool. Uh, Red Bull Arena has something pretty similar. You get off the uh, the Harrison station or the Harrison stop on the path train from from Manhattan. It's a five minute walk, and then there's this long drive uh, where they have all like the Red Bull promotional crap and all that sorry um 
you know, and that, that adds to kind of some of the uh, the showiness of it. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of it reminded me of you know when you go to Wembley, uh, you get off the you get off the train at one of the couple of stations around there, and Wembley Way is the the big thing, right? Uh, this big ramp uh, that that goes up leads to the stadium. Uh, in the old stadium, the new stadium, it's the same thing, and it kind of encapsulates everything. You, whether you've gone to a liquor store or and and had some, you know, got some drinks to sort of drink around the streets, or you've gone to pubs or whatever, you walk up there, you walk past the Bobby Moore statue. There's the people selling scarves and flags, people singing in the streets, people, you know, it just it it's like the perfect preparation. Uh, you go to West Ham, you get off the 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 tube at uh, Upton Park Station. Uh, sorry, at the old stadium. I haven't been to the new one. And it's like this five ten minute walk down the road to the station uh, to the stadium, and it's packed. It's just like it, it just builds up the atmosphere so much. And Frisco doesn't have that. It has a couple of tailgates that are really cool, but not a whole lot. You know, it's it's not even that lively around the stadium. It's people kind of dodging traffic on yeah. On the main street, the the other place that I've experienced that same kind of vibe is going to a Red Sox game when you're riding the the T through Boston, uh, going to a game. It can be similar. Um, I do wonder if I I don't take the Dart, but I don't know if that train goes anywhere near Frisco. But like if they had a special FCD train that left, like the, you could get like a hundred supporters on it, that would get at least close to that kind of vibe. Maybe that's a reach, but. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, it's a massive reach just because the city of Frisco refused to participate oh, right. in the dart, so it only goes as far as uh, Plano, and that's the bus. The train doesn't even go up the tollway, so yeah, I, I just you know, I, I guess that's the thing I think that you miss the most at FC Dallas is that sort of that general um, milling among fans kind of moment as you're approaching the game, whether it's you know, coming in through the gates or whether it's riding the trams or whatever, you know, in, in Frisco, it's highway parking lot. You're in a line with like 20 people, you know, somehow or another, if you can figure out, and it may just be a lot more people, you know, but if you can figure out a way to create some sort of game day experience, you know, like uh, the, the scrapping of the statue is the right genre but the wrong execution you know whether it, maybe it would be like a, a band area or something or a man i don't even know it's way past my pay grade i just think that you you miss sometimes that that feeling of it being an event if that makes any sense to you well uh yeah no you're totally right and uh, if we're talking on things the hunts could uh, invest in uh right Reagan spend money Richter. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, spend money. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Reagan Rector asks, uh, do you feel the Hunts have the ambition to compete to win MLS Cup? No. Yeah. <laughs> See, was... I'd say yes, but only in their own way. Yeah. They, they um, the, on the macro big picture level, and this is 100% based on their actions now. I know it's not what they say, but their actions indicate that they're far more interested in the long-term survivability of the franchise. And that's fair. They own the team. But secondary to that, even even in their own way, like they so far, to me, have not followed through enough. Like, you know, there's not enough effort in the academy. or not enough effort to keep academy players. There's not enough effort in 
scouting for these young internationals that can be like an academy player. Like Vargas is the right try, but poor execution. Shun is the right try and a good execution. So they can do it. It's just there's not enough. Uh, and this, I have some issues with the academy even right now. Their bread and butter, their best thing they got going is has some problems right now. And, uh, you know, I, I don't see that. It's almost like they just don't pay enough attention. You know, sometimes they're just they're just too distracted to let people that are running it do whatever they want and not noticing that it's not going right. You know, speaking to people who work in different departments at FC Dallas, that seems to be a pretty recurring theme there. You know, uh, it's it's funny. Uh, you mentioned the academy, and yeah, it seems like the focus is well, how can we monetize these players that we're developing? Uh, because we sure aren't keeping them. Well, why aren't you keeping them? What more can you do to keep them? And then we get these uh, now when they're talking about, oh, yeah, well, Pepe's an FC Dallas player. He's in the plans. And everyone kind of laughs at it. It's like, yeah, sure, yeah, sure he is. You haven't got the money to or the will to do it. I mean, if they do, great. Good for them. It's just they, they haven't quite ponied up at the right time for those sort of things previously. Yeah, they're all in on the keep Pepe, by the way. They, their whole campaign right now is based around come see Pepe in 2022. I mean, there's billboards in town now. Hey, listen, we've knocked him for not marketing. Hey, go for it. Listen, I mean, double down. Keep Pepe. Market the crap out of that guy. That's great. If you're actually doing it, if you're going to pretend like you're doing it and then you sell them, then it's the same crap. Yeah, this, this when we get into marketing, we, we talk uh, really about their lack of effort, but even if they're putting in effort, they have to have a strategy behind it and marketing a guy who almost certainly isn't going to be in next year is just uh, asking people to buy tickets and then ask for a refund. Yeah, <laughs> they, they could catch a lot of heat uh, since they seem to be basing their campaign for next year around that kid. They're going to catch a lot of heat. I mean, relatively speaking, a lot of heat if they sell him after this. I mean, they've also got that danger of having like a big ad buy and this, and the adverts are still running after he's gone. Yeah. Which, I mean, they've done that before with, uh, you know, I remember like a, a Gold Cup game finishing and they bought that like, in, oh, sorry, International Champions Cup game. And they bought that advert at the very end that doesn't, you know, and it was advertising the game that had already happened. Uh, yeah. You know, if you'll see like a bus that goes by with an advert from four, you know, a game from four months ago or something. It's it's kind of the recurring joke with FC Dallas. The only thing they advertise has already happened. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to hopefully better things. Then mm. uh, Eric Tillich uh, wants to know what is the true likelihood of the team hiring a coach from outside the organization and uh, when can we have a timeline for when that coach may be announced? Okay. Um, the chances that it's somebody from outside the organization are only 20%. And it's not because they're not willing to. It's that, that people find out what this job pays. Um, we don't know for sure what it pays, but we know from anecdotal evidence and from what people say about it uh, and the way coaching candidates pull their names out of the hat, that it doesn't pay very well, that it pays pretty low. And that's why they always end up. That's one of the reasons why they always end up with coaches from inside. They end up where the only guys that really want this gig at the number that it is are the ones who are developing and coming up. They're like the new guys like your Lucci or like a guy that's a current assistant that wants his first MLS gig. 
Steve Morrow, Colin Clark, the guys that are willing to take the low amount of money that they pay relative to what Bob Bradley probably just got to go to Toronto, where he's now the head coach and the sporting director, both, right? So the chances you're going to get somebody from outside the organization are very small just because of that timeline. The answer better be this week because this is only one week left in November. And if you get into first week, second week of December, that means that you're only going to have, you'll have less than a month to build your team with your coach in place. If you wait that long, because January is going to be camps. Camps are going to be either early or middle of January, depending on whether you get a four week camp or a six week camp. And it should be six, which means it should be early January. So they're running out of time actually if you're going to coach, if your coach is going to have any input at all in building the roster, which of course we know this coach is probably going to have less input into building the roster than previous coaches might. We all know now that Zanata is basically building this team and they're hiring a coach. Can't get rid of all the players. So you get rid of the coach and try and find another coach that can coach them. Here's my guys. Can you coach them? Again, that will impact their ability to get a guy from outside the organization. How in the world can you get Let's say just as an example, if you'd have wanted Bob Bradley, how in the world are you going to get Bob Bradley when he's not going to be able to determine who the players are on his team? He's not going to go for that. No one of that kind of caliber name, no matter what you think about him, he has a name, is going to go for that. So the, all, these things all limit who you're going to get, which is why it's going to be an inside-the-house candidate. And again, this has been episode 138. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's depressing, but... No, it's, it's true. I mean, uh, you know, when we look at Sonata's history, he he gives guys their first gig. Um, MLS, you know, we're in this interesting position compared to most leagues because MLS has so many dynamics that you need a coach that understands MLS. You can't just... Tata Martino is a great example. You can't just pull a guy in and... Actually, yeah, Tata, I guess you did. Um, the you, only you foreign coach to win MLS Cup, by the way. Yeah. Or foreign coach that hadn't been here for like 15 or 20 years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. You need someone who's who knows the roster rules and everything else, that knows the dynamic of the travel, the, the variance in weather, playing surfaces, everything, because it's so extreme compared to everywhere but russia really um it, it just lends itself and being a low-paying role it, it just makes it that hey guys do you want your first job and then maybe get a better job later on come to us and it's, it's not what you want it to be it kind of doesn't you know and if you want to say um you know the hunts haven't haven't got the ambition to win mls cup that's a perfect example of of somewhere that they could do better on yeah I mean, they locked into Oscar Pereira. Uh, Lucci, Lucci needed a, a few more years, and then he could have been the guy. But they rushed themselves out in really not being ambitious enough to keep Oscar. Yeah, that, that's what we should remember is that Lucci was supposed to have the North Texas job, and whatever person that would have been hired, maybe it would have been Tab Ramos if he hadn't pulled out at the last minute, would have had three, four, five years, however many, you know, your, your, your common coach cycles, three to five years. And then Lucci would have been the guy, maybe not this year, but maybe like in a year or two, he would have been the guy. So, you know, it, the timeline got accelerated in, in, in their process and how they work, and it's messed things up a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. So in a roundabout way, what you're saying is when they do hire Eric Quill, you'll be able to say, 
Well, he shouldn't have been here, but they basically chased the best coach they've ever had out the door by not spending money and had to accelerate the progression of the guy beneath him to bring in somebody else that's now your coach. Yeah. Well, Lucci talked his way into the job. Oscar wasn't all about the fact they weren't spending money. That was part of it. The inability to land a nine in particular. He also has ambitions as a coach. You know, he wanted to prove himself in the hot cauldron of Mexico. Um, And he took one of the hottest, craziest jobs there was. And then when that job went away, another job came along. It happens to be back in MLS. So, you know, he say he may still be in the mode of trying to prove himself and wanting to try other things in different groups and different positions. And who's to say that somebody else won't come along and offer Oscar a job that he'll jump at again. uh, I don't think it'll be FC Dallas anytime soon. I think that, you know, his someday back here is not like within the next five years or so. It's much further down the line. Okay, well, while we're dreaming of uh, Oscar Pereira coming back for a glorious, uh, rare, good second run, because it seems like everyone has a terrible second stint, uh, let's dream about DPs. Uh, Carlos uh, wants to know if you could have any current MLS DP on FC Dallas, who would it be? I'm going to answer this question in the context of the team as it is right this minute. Okay, so I'm only just bringing in one DP for this current team. The answer is Jao Paulo from Seattle. Do you know who he is? Absolutely. I was uh, he was one of the ones I was looking at. It just yeah. there's a guy you can play as that kind of holding midfielder that kind of yeah drives. He, he's a holding mid, and he I believe he led their their team in assists too as a holding mid. He's a now the problem is is he's 30. So like you can't build like a five year plan around him. But like if you want to take this current FC Dallas team and give yourself the very best shot to get as good as you can while you maybe keep Pepe for a year, while you have Jesus for a year, that kind of player replacing uh, Quignon, Christian Faco, to me, that's the biggest jump. Because if I have him with Cervania or him in a double eight kind of look or whatever, that to me, that solves so many problems in your team. Because I think you can get away with a Nikosi Hedges combo with some, with some, uh, Brasson or whatever, or some Martinez or whatever in there. I think it all comes together with that guy, that missing guy. Uh, and he's the guy. Now, if I was building a team from scratch, it, I wouldn't be a 30 year old guy. Then I want a time machine and I want 25 year old Diego Chara. But that's not a real answer to a real question. A real question is right this minute, Jao Paulo. Diego Chara amazingly isn't a DP. His brother Yumi is, though. Um, that's weird. <laughs> I, I was definitely looking at the list, trying to look for holding midfielders. And, yeah. And yeah, because you need that's. I know you always say it's one of the most important places that you need a DP. And, uh, you know, we definitely saw it with Carlos Gray. So, so, yeah. Since I couldn't find anyone under 30 that I really liked the look of, my answer went to uh, what could FC Dallas kind of do and flip a player with. And I came to uh, Haney Mukhtar, uh, who we just saw dominate. Yeah, uh, Nashville's game with uh, Orlando, twenty six years old, only a million and a half dollars a year. Nashville only played, only paid three million for him, and uh, you know he's eighteen goals, ten assists now. I mean that's the guy that you can build on for a couple of years, or you can make an absolute bomb selling him. Yeah, and he you know he plays multiple positions. You know, so you're not necessarily going to infringe upon the development of, of too many of your young players, but uh, just as uh, kind of a dream player with, sure. with those numbers and, and, and his cost. 
Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, if we if we want to do dream scenarios, can I have Carlos Grezzo back? That that's mm-hmm. fine for me. I'll take him back right now. No yeah, questions absolutely. asked. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so next question we have is from uh, Mark Deweese, and I think I'm just going to take this one if you don't mind. Go ahead. Uh, what is the complete behind the scenes, fully detailed story as to why Kellen Acosta left FC Dallas? Um, that is Kellen's business and Kellen's business only, unfortunately, and it would be really unfair to him and his family to uh, to discuss that. Yeah, I, I will not bring up, uh, discuss uh, the off-field situation that led to him wanting to leave. But what you have to understand is that he went into Oscar's office and sat down and said, I've lost the joy of soccer. It's become work and treasury for me. And I want to leave. And Oscar tried and tried and tried to talk him out of it. He, Oscar laid out a plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And Kellen said, no, I need to go. And so uh, it broke Oscar's heart. But he you know, has a lot of love for Kellen. So he said, okay, I'll, I'll do what I can for you. And he got the best deal he can. Uh, and again, you and I are not going to get into what was going on because it's only hearsay. And I'm not going to say hearsay for sure. And it's certainly none of our business. So um, you can assure that it was an off-field situation that led to him wanting to depart, and that's uh, about all we can really say about it. I think you know when you look at his U.S. men's national team career, um, you know he it's him and and Sebastian Lejet are really the MLS guys on those uh, European base rosters most of the time. I think he, he's excelled in a in a new environment. He seems personally happy in himself. Um, his family are, are very happy with this situation. So, you know, maybe FC Dallas didn't win on the trade, but uh, I think, you know, he was the first big, big success for the academy, the guy that people like Paxton Pomacol looked up to, and you want what's best for him at the end of the day. Yeah, you can watch him play for Colorado these days, and you can see that the – the thing that made him great in his early FC Dallas days is back. Whatever that mojo is, that movement, that range, that just crushing ability to just dominate the central park of the field uh, is all there. So, you know, good for him that he's found it again. And, and I, anybody that comes to the Academy here, I want nothing for the best of him. And I'm glad that he's back playing at peak soccer. Absolutely. Um, speaking, you know, we're going to go uh, with our last, uh, patreon subscriber question and it uh, stays in that kind of fc dallas uh homegrowns playing the uh the six role uh you mentioned previously that edwin serio has a few holes in this game uh what are they uh watching his progression especially during the end of the season has been encouraging i do remember some bad red card moments in north texas and fcd seems like he's uh ridden the thin red line between Tone setting, tackling, and cards. Do you think he can get there? Oh, no question. He absolutely can get there. Um, at the beginning of last year, the thing, one of the things he was missing was that little bit of nastiness. And about way through the season, he found that. And then the next thing that was missing was uh, what we would call progressive play, which is um, winning a ball, recovering a ball, receiving a ball, being able to turn and make a dribble or two to bypass a player, and then make a Line-breaking pass, uh, progressive pass, not a horizontal or backwards pass, because often when he would play last year, every pass is backwards. Now you're seeing a percentage of them going forwards in a progressive manner. So that those two things were the two things that were missing from his game 
in a technical sense. Now the only thing that's missing is experience. Um, a truly great six that's young is very, very rare. Uh, particularly Edwin, who is transitioning from being a wing. Now he transitioned in around the 17s or 19s from being a winger to a six. So relatively speaking, he has not played it like his whole life, like some guys do. And his pro career is still relatively short compared to like Jao Paulo, who's probably played all his life as a six and certainly most of his career as a six. Edwin's only played a couple of years as a six. So um, a guy like Grezzo, who was as good as he was so young, is really, really rare. So for Edwin, it's just time. He just needs to play more. He needs to pick up the seasoning. Like center backs, a six requires a lot of experience and a lot of game reading and a lot of situational instincts. That's all Edwin needs is just playing time. As long as he continues to be in the rotation and continues to get time, he'll get better and better and better. And within a season or two, he'll be ready to be the full-time start-every-game guy. He just needs a little more time still. You know, pure attacking players like Pepe can play so much on instinct. Defensive players have to learn and learn and learn and learn. And that's all Edwin just needs is just time. So if you had a guy, I mean, it's probably going to be Faco because he's locked up for three years. But if you had a guy instead of him, Jao Paulo is the example we were using earlier, who is 30 and might have a couple of years left. That's all Edwin needs is somebody to learn from for a couple of years. And then he'll be ready to be the guy in that spot. And he's, if we keep Faco around here, then Edwin's going to play a fair amount next year anyway, just because I don't think Faco will hold up. And also Edwin very shortly, if he hasn't already, will start to outplay that guy. Um, so, you know, I, I think Edwin's going to be a, an MLS lifer level player. And I think he could be the cornerstone of this midfield here for a long, long time. You know, with a couple more years progression in his game, most of it will come from his mind and his soccer wisdom, if you will. Yeah, I, I definitely. Uh, one thing um, that I thought about was was one thing he covered uh, his read on the game. I think sometimes, and as you mentioned, it's one hundred percent an experience thing. Uh, you know, sometimes he gets a little lost uh, tracking back into the box. Sometimes, yep, uh, seeing those uh, players emerge, especially out in the wings. Because one thing FC Dallas has been pretty good at, especially. Uh, it was something that Oscar wanted to do. It was something that uh, Lucci wanted to do. It was something that Grace was really good at, was receiving the ball in the middle and spreading it wide, uh, hitting somebody on the run. Uh, if you've got uh, Hader Obreon or Sabot Shun chasing down the wing, you want to hit them guys in stride, and that's that's the ball that your six plays. Um, you know, they've kind of relied on, on Nikosi to hit those balls, actually, mm. over the top to the wings, uh, which... You know, not not necessarily uh, the, the the guy you want to be doing. That. Okay, yeah, he's got a great uh, view of the game. But if you've got you know your sixes is working on a pivot twenty yards in front, he can kind of whip that ball in a little bit neater. And you just kind of want to uh, want to see him, even if he makes that check pass back to take a look over his shoulder, uh, kind of set himself for playing that ball on the on the rece- on uh, receiving the pass back again. You want Edwin to be that guy that can play that. Now, we've seen in the past, whether it's uh, Pepe working with um, Hara or uh, Grana and uh, Reggie Cannon, some uh, some veteran talent kind of helping guys out with parts of that game, and I really hope that Faku uh, is working with, 
with Edwin. It, yeah. it, it benefits everyone. That's what a veteran's supposed to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'll be all, interesting to see how that, that comes out next season. All those things fall under what I would call feel of the game, being able to almost subconsciously feel it coming, right? Uh-oh, you know, and recognition, almost not even front-low recognition, but instinctual recognition of the game as it develops, whether it be that tracking that run or knowing where your teammates are when you get the ball to be progressive. So just it's just feel and experience and wisdom of the game, um, and, and Edwin will, ha- will get that over the next couple of years, and I think he'll be ready. I mean, he's pretty close to ready now, but that's the difference between Edwin, the role player, and Edwin, like the dominant midfielder, is going to be that part. Thank you so much for, to the uh, Patreon subscribers for some fantastic questions there. Let's move on to uh, to questions received from Twitter from the uh, the wider FC Dallas audience. Uh, Caleb Friedrich gets four for the price of one. Um, not entirely sure how, but I guess let's take him in order. Firstly, how is Thomas Roberts' loan in Austria going? Slow. Um, the information I'm getting is that they're actually really, really excited about his future and they wanted to bring him along slowly with no pressure. So they're easing him in. Um, and I know that there's some teams that are looking at him and tracking him too. So I, I think it's going well enough, if you will. Yeah, I mean, he's, he certainly had some adversity with uh, the the uh, the guy that's playing ahead of him, the paperwork not coming through for a long time. Uh, he has subbed into four of the last five games in all competitions even if they are very limited minutes he had an assist in one of them so yeah it's it's at least you can see a a progression at least yep uh and then on the back of that will uh fc dallas send anyone on loan to europe next season well i mean thomas and Celia will be there um but yeah i'm sure they will uh you know getting guys playing time that aren't playing um, a Benny Redzic comes to mind. Redzic, sorry. Um, you know, those kinds of guys that need opportunity that maybe aren't feeling it with North Texas, you know, that, that can be an opportunity. I, I don't think you'll see Brandon Cervania go again, for example. That, that, won't, that won't work. Um, you could, I could see um, Justin Shea being loaned rather than sold, potentially. So we'll see. Yes, uh, it's interesting. I, I asked uh, Brandon after a game about his experiences and uh you know and how that kind of relates to thomas uh when when brandon was on uh loan in in austria last season he was really talking about kind of how getting a player out of the comfort zone with the language and everything else can really uh really really help their mindset um it'll be interesting to see you know one thing we've talked about with thomas in the past certainly was a little bit mindset related uh, we've talked about with Sealy. I think we've talked about it a bit with Che this season. So, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, even if they're not playing, it, it seems like a good place. And actually, yeah, Benny Redrich, you mentioned, uh, you know, when he was really highly touted and then suddenly went off the radar and wasn't a homegrown prospect anymore, that it was really the mental side of the game. And maybe, maybe that would be a great benefit to him. Okay, uh, Caleb's uh, third question, moving on. If FC Dallas plays a 4-3-3, would Jesus be better as an attacking 8 or as the 9? Well, the 9, assuming Pepe is not here, the 9. Jesus um, lacks the tactical defensive discipline to play as a free 8 like Paxton does. That's Paxton's, for me, that's Paxton's best pure position is that attacking 8, Jesus to me is either an off striker or a false nine. So assuming Pepe's gone, false nine. 
if Pepe stays, then you got to end up with some kind of formation that has two strikers or uses that same high 10 that we saw from Jesus last year. I think when you look at uh, FC Dallas and, and the way they kind of pitch themselves on being a, a development club for the national team, uh, you know, Jesus' only option is being the nine. So it almost uh, plays into that, that mantra of theirs uh, yeah. in preferring him out as a nine. Agree. And then uh, I think we may all know the answer to this question already, but uh, does FC Dallas need to invest? more in coaching and structure in the academy yes absolutely um i recently sort of have come to the conclusion that they they have a problem right now related to lucci being promoted to the first team head coach they never replaced him they chris hayden is the director of the academy and he's the vp of youth that used to be two people doing those two jobs, Oscar and Hayden did them together. And then Hayden and Lucci did them together. And now Hayden's doing them both, man. That's a lot of management. I mean, the FDL's youth is just massive and running the Academy is a full-time gig. So I, there needs to be an investment there in that split. I think they need to do some investment in, uh, you don't have to have big name coaches, famous coaches across the board, but you need to have some. So I think they need to try and appeal to, some FC Dallas names that have coaching background in order to bring some recruiting into the Academy, some of that kind of stuff. Um, and then they also need to take FC Dallas youth a little more seriously. Um, a lot of people think that if you don't play for the Academy and, or if you're not even one of the top three, four, five players that FC Dallas doesn't care. Now I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that like a lot of people think that, which means that, it's affecting you. So I think they needs to, they need to, if they're going to continue the, the other options to get out of FC Dallas youth and quit doing it, all, like a lot of the academies in MLS now don't run the youth club underneath. They just do Academy, you know, the, the, the six or seven teams and that's it. So they can either get out of FC Dallas youth and eliminate that part of their responsibility, except that it makes a lot of money, in which case they need to be responsible to it. And I think pay more attention to it. And again, some of that I think comes from this, lack of the division of the one job. Now it could be that someone that's involved in the Academy that tells me I'm crazy, but from the outside, I think it's a problem and I think that needs to be addressed. Hayden's going to probably be mad at me for saying that. But. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, uh, I mean, they're definitely not kicking FC Dallas youth. I think that's like 15 million net. Right. Um, I find it odd. Uh, even uh, if Hayden wasn't wearing both hats of youth and Academy, just having the entire youth under one person, um, you know, normally there's like a director of boys' youth, director of girls' youth. Someone... FC Dallas doesn't really have that, and uh, the girls' side is certainly ramping up more and more um, as things go along. You've got the WPSL side, you've got the ECNL sides. It just uh, it, it feels like, yeah, they, they need to compartmentalize the the academy and youth section just a little bit more and kind of have, I mean, you, you know, we've both spoken to Chris Hayden and uh, we know that he gets thousands of emails a day. Now nobody can, can read and respond to thousands of emails a day and we know that's all about, you know, you know, we know a lot of that's about youth and academy stuff. It's just... It's just a huge ask of one person to, uh, yeah, you know, it's a huge ask of even two people to do that. Yeah, at least it, uh, if you're running just the academy, it's what 
14s, 15s, 16s, 17s, 19s now. Yeah, and if and if the academy is going to be your bread and butter of your organization, which we've talked about over and over that it really is, and that includes youth, then you need to con- treat it like it is across the board, you know, and have it be a first line priority and hire enough people to do a good enough job with it to make it work. There's no question that the last couple of years there's a downturn in the academy. There's some cracks showing and there has to be a reason for it. It's not a total coincidence. Oscar's gone. Lucci's gone. The Bazan brothers are gone. Uh, a lot of the great recruiters, uh, Luciner's gone. Javier Morales is gone. You know, they're, they're just, the cupboard is thin. They need to do some things. And this is not an indictment of any particular individual as much as it is a broader belief and investment in the thing that is actually making you boatloads of money, you know, all in on it. If you're going to be all in on it, be all in on it. Don't be half in on it and then hope you get lucky. I mean, it's, it's very much like retooling a, a farm system in baseball. You've got to have, you, you know, you've got to replenish the player pool, but you've also got to say, okay, well, are the development aspects, the, the clubs and the coaches really working right now or, or do they need refreshing too? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Good thank you. Uh, oh, sorry. I'll say thank you, Caleb, for those uh, four <laughs> questions. Uh, apparently, we have an Antipodean, a soccerer, uh, who asks, uh, what will North Texas SC look like if it is truly a reserve team in 2022? Well, it, it'll be very similar to what it is now. Um, FC Dallas already runs that team as a, basically a U23 team. They don't run it as a full USL Division Three team, um, like everyone else in that league pretty much did. Now, uh, MLS says MLS 2 will be the same thing as USL 1, that they will allow outside teams. They will allow every MLS team to use it differently. If you want to have a bunch of 30-year-old guys in, on your MLS 2 team, you're welcome to do that. If you want to have it be a whole bunch of reserves going down, you're welcome to do that. I think FC Dallas already has set the mold for what they want their reserve team to be, their U23 team. So most of the differences are only going to be contractually structures. They're going to be behind the scenes. It's going to be how guys are passed from one to the other. It's going to possibly be in compensation. So it'll basically look exactly like it does now, pending possibly a different head coach. Perhaps. Uh, I'm a little interested to see how uh, MLS2 works. Um, after seeing how the USL Academy is going to work, um, it, it's going to be like a single team um, from under 15 to 19, I believe. And basically teams can opt in and out and say, hey, we don't want to play against a team that's just 15-year-olds. We want to play our 15s against the 19s. And, you know, it, it has to be some, you know, something mutually agreed um, that you know, all the clubs feel works for their benefit. Now I could definitely see an FC Dallas two saying, yeah, we absolutely want the, we want the 30 year olds just going to elbow the shit out of our young players and, and, and help them grow. Uh, whereas, you know, some of the other teams who are lesser developed would be like, no, yeah, we want to play kids versus kids. Um, I, I in a way that kind of dictates quite a bit because then do you have to, fill out a few more age-appropriate players to get those games? Or or do you kind of risk it being an extension of the academy? Well, there, there are already some teams that are leaning towards it can be an extension of the academy. Like Houston got rid of their U19 team. They go from U17 straight to their U23 team, which is what's going to be their MLS2 team. 
Um, there's, they're not the only ones that have done that. Some other clubs have done that as well. I, I know that there was some consideration when they formed MLS Next, the, the youth academy, that they weren't going to have U19s at all. They got they had to get ta- talked into having a U19 division. So, you know, that'll be an interesting progression to watch for FC Dallas is down the line, do they eliminate the U19 team? Because there's only a couple of, by the time you've signed out of the U17s, your very biggest hot prospects, there might only be one or two guys left that you're really interested in, and you can just play them with North Texas. You know, so it'll be an interesting way to see how Dallas uses it. Now, I think that you have to, in terms of running the league, if you really want it to be Division Three, you have to establish the rules of competition and stick to it. And it's like, you can use it however you want. You can bring up all teenage academy players if you want, but they open this league up to teams from outside of Major League Soccer. And if any of those teams take them up on it, and if they really want to be Division Three, and some of the MLS teams may use it more as a place to get minutes for their first-team players, you could get stomped 10-0 if you roll a bunch of 16-year-olds out there. So I don't think you're going to see a lot of pure like teenagers teams, but you'll definitely see a whole lot of U23-type teams, I think. That'll be the majority of what it is, uh, short of outsiders buying in and coming in, which may or may not happen, even though they've said they're going to open it up to that. Someone's still got a bite on it and do it. So that'll be different. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what what happens on that. Uh, it's an evolution still, yeah. We'll see. Uh, absolutely. Um, Luis, Alexis uh, wants to know a couple of questions uh, from outside of FC Dallas. Uh, firstly, uh, any information on the Cotton Bowl possibly being a World Cup venue or any information on the FIFA evaluation of the Dallas bid? Yeah, we know we know people that are involved in this some of this stuff, and the information I have is that the Cotton Bowl is not up for being a venue. The only stadium in the Metroplex up for it is AT&T Stadium. Uh, and their bid for AT&T Stadium is um, going through, uh, you were at the presentation, right? They're looking at a couple of different ways to get the field dimensions up. Uh, they are not the only stadium under consideration that has too small of a field. So this kind of idea of making your surface bigger is going to play into some of these other stadiums like SoFi in LA, for example. Um, so no Cotton Bowl. Um, it's just going to be AT&T. And I'm assuming the Dallas will get, this is just this part's my guess. I'm assuming they're going to get a semifinal at least um, because of the venue and the size of the population uh, in the central part of the United States. Um, all that leads to the, 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 the likability, <laughs> the love affair with, that FIFA will have with that venue and why you'll get a big game there. Fair Park will be involved. Um, Dallas is one of two places bidding for the International Broadcast Center along with uh, Atlanta. So um, Fair Park was, uh, I think, 50% of the host of, of that in 94, and they're looking at that again. Uh, I believe the United bid has actually recommended Dallas as its preferred choice. Um uh, AT&T Stadium is not the United Bids' uh, preferred choice. They preferred uh, the Meadowlands, but, uh, you know, Dallas is bidding for the final along with uh, New York, New Jersey, and uh, LA SoFi Stadium. So, um, you know, all all accounts are. The the visit went very well. Uh, Obviously, the visits are actually still going under, uh, still underway. It was just the second leg i believe of the the tour across the the u.s mexico and canada 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the second part uh, that Fair, uh, Fair Park was up for was uh, the Midway was actually going to be one of the potential fan zone uh, or fan fest, whatever they call uh, venues. Uh, I believe that has since been changed. Uh, it's a very fluid situation. They've added so many sites right now. But I think it was replaced by uh, Sundance Square in in Fort Worth, along with uh, Clyde Warren Park and a, a few other places. But, uh, you know, D- Dallas as a whole is, is definitely going to play a huge part in the 2026 World Cup, uh, any which way you look at it. Yep. Uh, and Luis, uh, other question was about the uh, relocation of Austin Bold to Fort Worth. Uh, any update on that and where would they play? Well, not, not any particular updates beyond the fact that they're transferring that franchise to somebody else. Um, our information is that it's Donnie Nelson's group that they're transferring that to. Um, obviously, the stadium long term, theoretically, is this nor is this deal up by Keller, um, which Keller ISD would have some involvement with. It'll be off of 35 there, uh, north of uh, 183, somewhere up that direction. Um, the only question I think really is the question is short term, where do they play? Uh, and the fact that we haven't heard anything about this thing in terms of like, I mean, this season's not that far away for next year's USL. You know, if they're like MLS, they're going to start in February, March or something. And we've heard nothing. So I, I'm actually starting to think that this team might be on hiatus a little bit um, as they try and iron out that stadium deal. And there may not be a temporary place to play that they may just sit on that franchise for a year or two or whatever it takes to get the new stadium in play. Um, Cause otherwise you're looking at playing it. I mean, Texas Wesleyan is building a new football stadium, but how far away is that? You're looking at trying to talk TCU and letting you play there, I guess, or playing it fairies and feel like the Vaqueros did, I guess. I mean, I'm not even sure the city of Fort Worth is all that involved. You know, it's more Keller ISD in Tarrant County, I think. Um, so it's a complicated, complicated process other than the fact that it seems pretty clear that the bold are going away and coming to Fort Worth. There's still a lot of balls in the air on this one. Yeah. It's kind of interesting when you think, uh, uh, Donnie Nelson's group, Neltec sports, uh, you know, they've got a bit of an involvement in soccer. They own Texas United, which has played out of, uh, UT Dallas this year. Uh, they're, a youth academy from what it sounds like, which will play in the USL Academy, um, is I think it's going to be based in Fort Worth, which would kind of play into, yep, you know, maybe you know, some kind of amalgamation between the USL, uh, two in, in championship teams like a, a junior senior, um, type deal. But that leaves them, even if that was, that would leave them without a stadium because, uh, the the field in, in Richardson wouldn't really suffice for that. Uh, if they could get on that TCU facility, uh, TCU doesn't have a men's team. Uh, beautiful facility, only being used by the women's team. Not a great deal of use. Uh, you know, a lot of us have been for when FC Dallas had uh, US Open Cup games there. Uh, that that would be fantastic. Uh, but yeah we're, we're still waiting on that on that keller deal was that kind of just a flash in the pan like we've seen you know in in all those uh cricket stadiums that were promised and and however many other stadiums that have been talked about through colin and karen uh colin denton and tarrant counties in the last few years yeah 
I mean, all we know really is that the bold have said that they're not playing and that they're transferring the ownership to somebody in theory for this Fort Worth thing. And then we've heard nothing else. And it's like, you're now looking at such a short turnaround that it, to me, it almost feels impossible that it's actually happening this year. You know, it's like, it's going to, it's going to be an incredibly short duct tape together minor league situation. If they actually do find any place to play and manage to field the team, you know, you think you'd start seeing playing announcements, coaches announcements, branding announcements. None of that exists. So for all we know, the bold are just gone and then nothing's going to happen. It's weird how that was an answer about the FC Dallas coaching situation as much as it was the Austin Bold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same. Okay. Yeah. Same, same same boat. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, especially with the uh, the World Cup around the corner, this, this offseason is tight. Yes. Uh, speaking of offseason moves, uh, Ishmael Belcora asks uh, any super draft or homegrown college signings that you think will uh, probably happen this year? Yeah, I think that you'll probably see one college homegrown like they usually tend to do. Um, I did a little short list of them the other day of the ones I think are possible. I, I think Kevin Bonilla from Portland is the, um, the most likely, you know, he played two years with North Texas and was a starter when he's there pretty much, you know, he, he's definitely one of those guys. The only question is, has he been enough time in college for the club, you know, or not? Um, Daniel Evans at Kentucky is probably the second most likely. He's a senior or Holland Rula, who's a, a left back from Wake. Maybe those guys, but I, I, I don't, I'm not super leaning into them. Um, the kid that went from, uh, shockingly, went from Richland to Tulsa. Uh, Fazio, um, you, you know, Dan, you probably know who I'm talking about. He just won the uh, Conference USA Defender of the Year award. Uh, that's a guy that's super interesting because Dallas has had him in camp for like an extended, extended look when he was playing in Richland. He was in for a couple of weeks one time, and his brother plays. I think it's his brother plays it somewhere. Or, or, yeah, Roma is that where he is? You know, so yeah. there's a pedigree there, and there's an ability. Clearly, there's an ability there. You know how he's sort of fallen through the system is interesting. Um, so that's a guy you might keep an eye on just because there's a, there's an intimate knowledge from this club with that kid. Um, you know, because Richland's coach is a, one of their academy coaches, uh, Herrera, um, I think he's a goalkeeper coach, you know, and, and they have some other SC Dallas guys that have gone to Tulsa. So clearly there's a pipeline there. I think it's kind of an intriguing name to keep an eye on in the draft. You know, Dallas lately likes these guys you're like scratching your head at a little bit. These more diamond in the rough kind of guys, they're not going and getting like some dude from the ACC as much anymore. They're now looking sort of outside the norm, you know, whether it's your Nicosi Burgess or, you know, somebody else's homegrown and they trade for his rights or, or things like that. So uh, those are just some names to bandy about for you. And uh, yeah, Mariano uh, Fazio, uh, Six foot three defender. He he was playing on uh, North Texas uh, through their um, open cup runs. Supposedly, he was born in Spain. But uh, the guy that everyone always says his brother is uh, from Argentina. So interesting. Well, uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see about that one. Um, Ross Green wants to know starting eleven for. Uh, MLS two team next year if you can uh, <laughs> if you can manage that one yeah well I saw that one and this one's kind of impossible but what I can I think I can tell you you know some some guys I think it's time to move on some guys I think it's important to 
keep, you know, Blaine Ferry will feature heavily. If they keep Kazu, he'll feature heavily. The two Portuguese guys, uh, Lucio and um, Morias, will feature heavily because they only came in right before this season. But Allison's probably gone. Other than the fact that we love him as a player coach, maybe Waldeck might be done. Um, Richard Sanchez might be with the first team. So, you know, if they do sign Antonio Carrera, he'll, you'll see a lot of him. I think it's time to move on from Jerron Rio, uh, either MLS or USL championship for him. But, you know, Jaquel didn't work out. Um, uh, it's time to move on from Imanol Almaguer. So Alex Bruce is time to move on. So, Hope, hope Kudzo, that he'll be a big. Kazu, Blaine Ferry, uh, Kamungo, the kid from Amarillo, he'll be huge next year. Maybe start every single game um, with an eye on him being an MLS, maybe with one more season. Colin Smith should start every single game on loan down from FC Dallas still. Uh, if Alejandro can get healthy, he's that Mexican-Brazilian kid that for a while was the star of the team for about a month and a half. And then he got hurt, and we never saw him again. So you can get him healthy. That'll be interesting. So there's some pieces down there. If Kaiser Gomez comes back at center back, he'll play every game. There's some interesting pieces down there that'll be the core of that team. And that's before they even try and get in a couple more pieces. You know, if there are some new homegrowns that they need to mix in there, if there are some more guys that are going to come down and get some minutes. Uh, you know, the, the, Nicky Hernandez needs a lot of playing time, for example, coming out from MLS still. You know, it's going to be, um, you know, the same sort of vibe as you had now. And you can see, the guys that were playing a lot towards the end of the season will be your core going forward for next season. Hmm. Uh, well, you're on to now. I was looking up, uh, I was Twitter stalking uh, Mariano Fazio. It does seem like Federico Fazio at Roma is his brother. Um, yeah. So that would uh, that would be a funny link with uh, Brian Reynolds and the Toyota Golf State's owner uh, yeah. as well if they did uh, plug for him there is a there is there is for sure a behind the curtain fc dallas roma love fest going on these days with those two owners well uh joseph uh would like to know uh the odds on jesus's return in 2022 which i said you which i believe you said was 20 percent likely to so, for him to leave. So is that 80% likely to stay? Yeah. Yeah. We answered this question earlier, but Joseph, just to give you the answer again, really quickly, I have 80% likely that Jesus will stay. And, uh, Cody to wrap us up asks realistically, what is one position you think FC Dallas will improve via transfer this off season? Not can will will left wing. Ah, yeah. 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 That's uh, easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, as much as we like Shun, he will get call-ups. Um, and uh, you would like, preferably, someone that can play both sides because you want to also have somebody that can push um, Hader Brown on the right. So I'm going to lean left wing, but just say wing broader than that. Somebody that can do both sides, for example. That's a position. Seeley's gone. You don't know what you have in Elmed Cure yet. Um, you, you know, with... With so much money in Hara and maybe them trying to push Happy Peppy to stay, not that. Plus, they have Jesus. They got crap tons of eights laying around. They got two more years in Faco and Edwin behind him. They got four center backs under contract already for the next two or three years. They got left back Johnny Nelson. You know, even if you upgraded your backup left back because of Nelson's injury worries, you still have Ryan, so that's not going to improve. Emma looks like the man at right back now. So, what are you going to get another backup there? Goalie, if Maurer's healthy, Maurer's fine. Backup goalie, maybe. So really, the answer to the what front line position can you improve by, by this offseason, I think it's going to be wing. 
Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. Uh, sorry, Cody, that that definitely sounded like it was going to be uh, way harder to answer. But yeah, um, <laughs> definitely with uh, with, with Shun's uh, international prospects, especially in this weird season. Okay, he's not going to be playing at the World Cup, but you're going to have Euro qualifiers, UEFA Nations League, everything else that. Uh, Unfortunately, they're going to be drawn to, and this World Cup is only going to create more uh, more chances to have uh, international windows. Unfortunately, yeah, it's a weird year. So, and the European Nations League is still a building thing. You know, that's going to be taking place. You know, um, even even if you include just the domestic players from Dallas, they're going to be missing, right? You know, Pepe's going to miss if he's here, going to miss. Jesus is going to miss. Maybe Paxton can get healthy and, and start to miss, you know, some frontline kind of action there. It's going to be beneficial to the team, whether it's a guy who can spot nine or play either wing or even drop into like a, if Jesus is still and Pepe are both here. And so you're using that 10 role, a guy that could slot inside like they would do with Vargas you know, that, that kind of guy, I think, makes a lot of sense. Even if you keep showing and keep Hadir, those two dudes ain't, ain't starting 34 games. You know, somebody else has got to start 10, 15 games or, or more, really, to keep it balanced and, and healthy and active with all those call-ups. I think as well, just, just FC Dallas's uh, patterns over the last few years, even if you're not thinking specifically about with Zanotta, it's been a lot of tinkering on the wings, trying to get things settled and right. Yeah. Uh, you know, even even uh, last year, just uh, kind of dumping dumping your wingers uh, in Barrios and Fafa, uh, if things weren't 100% right. Now, Fafa looked like he could have been a, a, a decent used part. Uh, Barrios had one off, one bad season, and approaching a, a pretty large increase on his contract. Um you know, nothing's guaranteed, as as players like to remind us. Uh, but I guess one thing is that at least one of those wings will uh, will see a new player brought to it. Yeah, I agree. Right. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, everybody, for the uh, the questions. Uh, a- again, we kind of touched on it. Um, you know, what you just experienced was really a collection of of Buzz's uh, third degree burns. They're a great little listen. Uh, Patreon subscribers get full access to those and uh, also get the, the chance to uh, ask those questions and have them answered personally. Uh, people in the Discord can kind of have it at the time, just in text or uh, or, or in that, that nice, uh, easily digestible two to ten minute kind of... Uh, mini pod format so uh thank you buzz for uh, enlightening us so oh uh, you're welcome yeah i tend to if it's a one one or two sentence answer i will type it but if it's a really good extended topic then i'll save it for a burn yeah Definitely. hey dan did you know that soccer 90 is your source for all things fc dallas you know i did i was uh, actually gonna say that i've uh, <laughs> spoken so much on today's episode that i'm gonna take a vow of silence for the next week <laughs> but before then i just had to share it that not only is soccer 90 your source for all fc dallas u.s national team and international club gear but this black friday which i mean it's still a new thing to me i'm foreign and all that uh but you can save with deals up to 50 percent off 
everything. That's good in-store because, you know, they have the store on the south end of the stadium. It's really cool, even if Seattle is one of the jerseys on display currently instead of FC Dallas. Uh, and online. You don't even have to use your third-degree uh, promo code. That's not going to do much for you. Uh, and then if you miss out on that, Cyber Monday is always there too. Only online, but 40% off everything all day long on Soccer90.com. So are you still getting your brain wrapped around Thanksgiving as a Brit? Uh, I keep getting people asking me if that's a thing. I'm like, no, no, we didn't <laughs> have Native Americans in the yeah. United Kingdom. Yeah. But happy Thanksgiving to, to you and uh, I'll enjoy a couple of days off work and uh, happy Thanksgiving to, uh, to all of our listeners uh, who've joined us on episode 138 of Third Degree, the podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Nerd Podcast. Third degree, the third degree never care.